Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Dallas's Classical Education Graduate Program. With a dedicated faculty and staff drawing on extensive experience in the classical tradition, The Classical Education Graduate Program benefits from the strength of the university's nationally recognized core curriculum, which embodies the UD's dedication to the pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue as the proper and primary ends of education. The Classical Education Graduate Program combines the ethos of this core curriculum with a concentration on the theory and practice of classical education, bringing these to the working and aspiring classical teachers, school administrators, and home educators around the country. Earn a classical teaching certificate, a Master of Humanities degree, or a Master of Arts degree in classical education. With an extensive array of online courses, the program is designed to meet the schedules of busy classroom and homeschool teachers. In addition, for a limited time, the classical education program at the University of Dallas has scholarships available that can reduce the cost of the program by up to 90%. That's 90, 90%. Don't miss out on this opportunity today. Visit udallas.edu slash classical ed to start your application. Again, that is udallas.edu slash classical ed. You are listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we examine the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode three alone in my principles. Today's proverb comes from Cicero, and I'll read it twice. Never less idle than when wholly idle. Never less alone than when wholly alone. That's from Cicero. Read it one more time. Never less idle than when wholly idle. Never less alone than when wholly alone. There's a lot to cover here for something as apparently simple as this is. I suppose the first question that comes to mind when encountering this proverb is, why? 
what is being accomplished when someone is wholly idle. And who is one's companion when wholly alone? In ruminating on this, I couldn't help thinking of a story from my childhood. And I don't exactly remember when this was. I think I must have been seven or eight. But really, it might have been anywhere between five and ten. I remember I was being punished for something. And it might have been that I was being unfairly punished, as in I didn't do the thing that I was accused of doing. Or it might have been that I was accused of doing something I did, but it wasn't as big a deal as my parents thought it was. Anyway, I was justifying myself. And on this occasion, I was sent to bed early. Whatever it was I did, the punishment was being sent to bed early. And this was not a common discipline or chastisement when I was growing up. Up until the time I was 11, let's say, I would get a spanking. That was discipline in my family home. But on this occasion, for whatever reason, I was sent to bed early. And I remember lying in my bed. And I believe that also as part of this particular chastisement, that some privilege had been taken away from me. I don't remember now what it was. I remember that something had been taken me, I was being deprived of some right or some object that I typically had or had access to. And I was lying in my bed and I was justifying myself and I think I was crying and I cried for a long time as I recall. And in the midst of my tears and self-justification, I remember saying to myself, my parents can take my things from me. They can take my time from me. But I will still be me. You cannot take myself from me. And within the privacy of my own heart, I may do and think as I please. You cannot take myself. You cannot take my personhood away from me. Regardless of what you take from me, I am still me. I am still Joshua. That was my first encounter with myself. That was the first time I can recall meeting myself. And when I say myself, I mean my soul. Up until that point, my soul had been such a part of me that I had not recognized it as other. But all throughout scripture, let's say, men speak with their souls. And men speak with their souls, they speak with their hearts, they speak with their selves. All three of these terms are more or less used interchangeably by biblical translators. Then I said to my heart, then I said to myself, 
depending on the translation of Ecclesiastes you're reading, Solomon says either one of these things. And he says it a lot. I find this fascinating. He must surely have learned this from his father. There's a passage in Psalms, uh, Psalm 4, I think, where David says, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. And this communion with your heart is, I think, what Cicero is describing when he says, never less alone than when wholly alone. And it's only when we are wholly alone that we are able to commune with our hearts. I find it fascinating that the psalmist says, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. He doesn't just say commune with your heart and be still. He knows where communion with the heart typically takes place. And I think that most communion with our hearts, or to use Cicero's words, the place where we are less wholly alone than anywhere else is actually when we are alone in our beds at night. The task of falling asleep is an interesting one because most tasks that we undertake throughout the day can be layered on top of each other. Um, Even as I'm sitting here speaking, I have a cup of coffee in my left hand and I can talk and I can take a sip. When I'm in my home doing the dishes, I can listen to music. I can listen to a podcast. When I'm driving somewhere, I can chat with my wife. I can listen to the radio. Almost every human activity can be doubled up with another human activity. Not all human activities can be doubled up with something demanding, but almost everything we do, we can do something else at the same time. But falling asleep is not really one of those things. When you commit yourself to falling asleep, you kind of have to just try to fall asleep. And anything else that you do will only distract you from falling asleep and make it more difficult. So when you're trying to fall asleep, you're left alone with only your thoughts. And there are even some kinds of thoughts that you ought not have when you're trying to fall asleep, or it will simply be very hard. But when you fall asleep, when you're trying to fall asleep, it's best to clear your mind of the really vexing news from the day, maybe even the really pleasant news from the day. It's in those moments that you're really alone with your thoughts. You're not really making plans. In those moments when you're trying to fall asleep, you commune with your own heart. You meet your soul. You meet your soul as though your soul is another person. Your soul is a companion who sits alone in the room of your heart waiting for you to come and chat. And the soul is always ready to chat. The heart is always ready to converse and listen 
and express its own needs. The soul certainly has needs and desires that are different than what we normally want. What we typically want is pleasure, entertainment, amusement, distraction, none of which are terribly interesting to the soul. And the soul's not really a tyrant. The soul is really more the father of the prodigal son who waits for the egotistical prodigal son to return. And the soul is always very happy to talk. The soul generally commends a quiet life. The soul generally commends industry. The soul is willing to be honest with you about what you ought to do less, what you ought to do more. It's typically when you're on the verge of falling asleep that you have thoughts like, I should drink less. I should read more. I shouldn't watch so much TV. At least for me, that's where I think those thoughts. I think about reform when I'm lying in bed at night. And I think about what will happen to me if I don't control my passions. In A Farewell to Arms, one of my favorite lines from any novel of the 20th century, um, maybe one of my all-time favorite lines from any novel, is something like, and I'll get it close but not exact, it's awfully easy to be hard-boiled about everything in the daytime. But at night, it's another thing. And I think that's true. And I think it's true because at night in our bed, when we commune with our heart, as the psalmist says, we are not wholly alone, as Cicero says. And we have to listen to our hearts at night. And at times, it is very pleasant to listen to your heart. I have made good, important, lasting resolutions while lying on my bed at night, waiting to fall asleep. And in that sense, we go back to the first part of the proverb, never less idle than when wholly idle. This time that we spend with our souls, listening to our souls, is productive. It's not wasted time. Uh, because the soul is capable of analyzing what we have done with our days, where our life is headed, where the current trajectory of our lives is taking us. And I think that a man is better capable of assessing himself, critiquing himself, judging himself, when he is wholly alone, when there is nothing to distract you from taking stock of your own soul, which every man ought, ought to do before he receives the Lord's Supper on Sunday or what have you. I've never forgotten this discovery of my own soul. And it, I can go, I imagine, like other people, when you realize that your soul is a companion there's something thrilling about discovering your soul as a companion, uh, your soul as this kind of 
constant person who appears in moments of loneliness to speak with you. Your soul is a companion who appears uh, when you're in desperate straits and waiting for good or bad news. But it's easy to go for weeks without speaking to your soul. If you are not careful with your body, you will exhaust your body. And there will not be time at night while you're lying on your bed to commune with your soul. And you will never be alone and you will never enjoy that productivity that Cicero speaks about. But this maybe is the danger of going to bed too late at night. The danger of staying up past midnight, staying up past one o'clock, which is that that time between lying down and falling asleep begins to diminish. There are some people out there who are blessed with the ability to fall asleep within. They claim 60 seconds of laying the head down to the pillow. I don't know. I've always found that a little hard to believe. I have students that say this. Oh, I fall asleep within oh, 60 seconds of laying down. I was never like that. As a child, I was never like that. I've never been like that as an adult. I didn't read much as a child, but I did lie awake in bed for hours every night, which is a close second to reading. I'm going to put that theory out there. I kind of can't believe that I turned into someone who lectures and writes professionally, given how little I read as a child. And I've often wondered about this. How is it that I committed my life to words as an adult when I never sought out words as a child? Like a lot of children raised in the 80s, I was a TV junkie. I've seen every episode of Family Matters there is. I've seen every episode of Full House there is. I've seen every episode of DuckTales there is. And maybe if I had to chalk it up to something, it was the fact that I never fell asleep easily as a child. And when I say this, I mean I would often lie in bed until midnight when I was seven or eight years old, nine, ten years old. I thought a lot. My own children, not like this. My own children, I turn off the light and they are asleep within 20 minutes, 15 minutes. I was never like that. I would often try to stay awake as late as I could. I would wait for hours and after hours, I would come downstairs to my parents who were still awake and I'd say, I can't sleep. Can I watch television? And most of the time, they would let me watch something for 15 or 20 minutes. And then I would have to go back upstairs. Um, but I believe that all that time I spent alone with my soul when I was a child ultimately served me well. Today, I probably need half an hour or an hour to fall asleep. Much less time. But I do enjoy that time. A lot of it's spent praying. I would say most of the prayer I do is done between lying down in bed and the moment that sleep overtakes me. Nevertheless, idle than when wholly idle. <laughs>
This reminds me of this remarkable proverb from Blaise Pascal, which could probably sustain an episode of the show all on its own. But it does seem to be born out of the same Ciceronian idea. You've probably heard it before. Here's the Pascal proverb. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. That's Blaise Pascal. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. All of humanity's problems, all of humanity's distractions, all of humanity's luxuries are distractions from the work which is done when sitting alone in a room, never less idle than when wholly idle. I once tested this proverb, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Back when I taught Pascal, it's been two years, I think. Upon coming to this proverb, I wanted to put it to the test. And so I did this little experiment when we were done with the book, which is I lined my classroom with chairs so that there were chairs facing the wall all wrapped around the room. And I told my students that we were going to test Pascal's proverb. And I said, I'm going to be in the next room. I'm going to be one room away. And I'm going to be eating something delicious and watching something amusing. TV show. Now you have an hour in which you can simply sit in these chairs and sit quietly in a room alone. Uh, commune with your own heart, not on your bed, but close to it. And Pascal's wager is that your time is better spent alone in this room than with me, doing something amusing wherever I am. But you can leave this room at any time. Whenever you get sick of sitting alone in a room, you can come next door and I'll give you something tasty and we can watch an amusing show together. And after an hour, we'll see what you've accomplished. So I left, and I left all these students alone in this room. And I told them they were not to speak with one another, honor system. And I waited, and I waited an entire hour, and not one of the 20, 21 students left the room. I was impressed. And then the next time we were together, I asked them, what did you do with your hour? And what they responded with was kind of remarkable. They said, a lot of them said, that the project was difficult for about five minutes because for five minutes they were going to, or they needed time to figure out whether they were going to leave. And if they were going to leave, more bang for your buck, obviously better to leave early. But once they were resolved to stay for the entire hour, then it was easy. So I asked them what they did. 
some of them said they practiced speeches in their heads for a different class, a rhetoric class. Others said they prayed. Others said they created lists in their minds, lists of favorite things, favorite books, lists of things to do. And they all reported that the time was well spent. While they were alone, they were not wholly alone. They became industrious when wholly alone. They became thoughtful, sagacious even, pious in their prayer when completely alone. And I wonder about this experiment, of course, because never less idle than when wholly idle. When are we ever wholly idle anymore? There's always an opportunity to be productive. There's always, whether you're standing in line in the grocery store, waiting at a red light, no one is wholly idle. No one's wholly alone either. There's always your friends to talk with online. Your friends are always in your pocket. There's always a cocktail party in your pocket wherever you go. People saying amusing, funny, forgettable things. I suppose then that the heart or the soul or the self is lonelier than ever before. We check in with our souls less frequently now. And to be alone with your soul is a, a great vexation when you've not checked in recently. The soul can atrophy. The soul can become a less interesting conversation partner if the soul is not exercised, if it's not given room to breathe and chat and so forth. And when the soul atrophies, it becomes less interesting to speak with your own soul, less reason to come back. But the more you speak with your soul, the more intriguing your soul becomes, the more often you speak with it. To he who has, more will be given. To he who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. And so maybe one of those crucial tipping points in modernity is keeping your soul interesting, keeping your soul a convincing and intriguing conversation partner. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry shampoo, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 39 guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.